Well, tonight, I'd love to just chat and visit for a while, but um, because we're going through the book of 1 Peter, we want to uh, hit this running. Last week, you can listen to the, um, we're going to be saying the app a lot until everybody gets it downloaded, but uh, you, can, you can access the Sunday sermons on the app, but the Wednesday sermons, you'll actually need to go to our Wednesday, our, to our um, our, our, our website to get the Wednesday sermons. But the notes are there, and um, tonight you have your Bibles, which you can take notes in, and the uh, little Bibles that you've gotten. I only bought 50, and they're all gone. I think I saw one right here that's left, and I'll be happy if somebody wants that one for, do I hear five? Do, do I get 10? <laughs> Paul, I should let you, you got a coupon for it, Paul? <laughs> But, uh, you know, to, to use this, the, it's a great Bible, and if you, if you don't have one and you want one, let me know, and I'll be sure and order some of those. Well, last week, we looked at what salvation is, and the Sunday before last week, I had just did a message on Peter that I asked you if you could go back and listen to, Peter's Grip, that would kind of give you the background of Peter, and this is a suffering church and a hurting church, and we looked at last week what salvation is. Now, the whole message of Peter is this. This is a church that's going through an incredible amount of suffering, an incredible amount of pain. And Pastor Mark, I don't know if the buzz is up there or up here, but if you can take care of that for me. And how that the suffering doesn't make us weaker, but the suffering will refine us and make us stronger. How the suffering that Christians go through for their faith in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the foolish things that we do that we suffer for, but I'm talking about the sufferings that we go through in our faith in Christ. They refine us. And as you go through Peter, you're going to discover that one of the things that Peter is going to be preaching about is how God makes us not only into a holy people, but God makes you into a great man or great woman. So look at your neighbor tonight and say, you're just great. Now, they may not be yet. Paul, I didn't see anybody look at you. You're just great, Paul. I just want you to know that. Uh, the, you may not be yet. You may know some things about yourself that none of us know, but God is in the process of making you into a great woman of faith, a great man of faith. And so what we want to look at as we go through this whole book of 1 Peter is how God uses troubles and trials to heal us and not destroy us. And those early Christians stand out, don't they? They stand out to us because of their incredible love and devotion for Jesus Christ and how the Bible even says in the book of Hebrews, as we looked at last week, the world's not even worthy of them because of their love for Jesus Christ. So if you would, stand up tonight, and um, let me read to you just three verses this evening from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Of course, I would just keep reading the book over and over until it gets deep in your heart. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action, or preparing your minds for action. That word preparing literally means gird up. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Father, in the next few minutes, I ask you to help us to see, God, how that holiness doesn't become something frustrating, but it is the cry, the desire, and the love of all of our hearts. This evening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
God bless you. You can be seated. I don't normally, if you'll leave the passage of Scripture up there for just a moment longer, Brandon, I don't normally lead the verses, verse numbers in uh, the passage, and it looks like they may have been taken out, but I wanted to be able to call your attention back to some of these verses as we go through. Um, and one of the things is these, these three phrases, he who called you is holy in verse 15. In verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. To gird up your minds or to prepare your minds for action, and I'm going to skip over some of this tonight, but don't worry, I'm going to be coming back to it because there's three distinct steps that Paul, Peter tells us in this passage that we need to look at in a little more detail than what I would have time for tonight. But those three steps of action are about holiness, and so I want to talk about holiness first, though it comes a little later in the passage this evening. To gird up your mind or to gird up your loins, in the, in the Bible, men wore robes, and I'm glad we don't do that anymore, but they wore a belt or a sash around their waist, and to gird up their loins, it literally meant that they pulled that robe up and exposed what they wouldn't normally expose, their bare legs, and they would tuck it in that sash, and then they could run for a battle, run to a battle, they could run from trouble, they, they could run to rescue and so what Paul was saying, you've got to totally focus. The serving God is not a hobby. Serving God is not a Sunday morning only experience. But serving God is a total focus of your life, especially if you're the people that Peter's writing to that they're suffering so tremendously for their sake. There was a song I downloaded today and I listened to for a little while. I, haven't, I didn't hear it growing up, but I didn't hear it until I was in college it was an old song I'm sure most of you know, Take Time to Be Holy. And holiness is not something can be rushed. We grow into that. Holiness is or that doctrine of sanctification that you hear me talk about from time to time. It's that process where God makes us more and more like Jesus every day. And don't we want that, to be more like Jesus? Now, there was an old song we sang in my church growing up called More Like Jesus, More Like Jesus Every Day. And so God does that through the work of the Holy Spirit. But what astonishes me today in particular is how many people want to rush job in faith and don't take the time to discipline themselves to grow in faith, not just to read, but to actually serve. So let's look at, first of all, number one, God is holy. What does he mean when he says, when Peter writes that? You've read it in the Old Testament. You've said it. You've sang it here at the church. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You've quoted it from Isaiah. You've quoted it from Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter uh, uh, 12, verse 15, he who called you is holy. Uh, that's what he's quoting there. To be holy means that you literally cut something away, to separate it. It means to set it free, to loose it. It means to set aside for the exclusive use of something. And so literally, when you put the word, the adjective, God is holy, you're putting God totally off the scales. God is so far above the scales of what good and holy is among people. He tops all the charts. It's, it's not that God is here at the top of the ladder, as I've used before here when I've illustrated this, that God is at the top of the ladder. Do you remember that illustration I used when I brought a ladder in here? I've done this twice over 20 years, that, that God is not at the top of the ladder. God's above the ladder. He is way infinitely beyond the ladder itself when you look at the ladder of works. A lot of times when you say God is holy, you're recognizing God 
You are so much more than a man. You are so much more than humanity. You are greater than all of creation, including the angels that you've created. And so when we confess God is holy, I really want you to have an understanding of what that means so that you don't grow in your faith with this negative concept of holiness. God often, when he rebukes his people in the Old Testament, he says these words, you thought I was like you. You thought I was like you. You've read that in the prophets. You've read that before in your morning devotions as you've read through the Bible. And I hope you read through the Bible every year. or You read through it every two to three years. You just consistently read. And God does use metaphors so that we can understand who he is. Some of, let's name some of them. Number one, God is a, somebody help me. He is a father, right? He is a man. Let me go back to next week's message, last week's message. God is a father. God is a shepherd. Our God is a rock. Those are, you could just keep on, he is a fortress. He's a strong and mighty tower. We look at these, these metaphors that God gives us to help us understand him. And that's important that we focus on that because we have to remember he is so far beyond the best of earthly fathers. He is so far beyond the best of earthly shepherds or earthly pastors. He is so far beyond the rock of Gibraltar or any other rock that we could know in this life. God is infinitely beyond. He is off the scales. He is off the charts. He is off the top. And when we say God is holy, that's what we're confessing. For instance, we sing this chorus sometime here at church. We're going to sing it tonight. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. How many of you know that the word Michael, how many of you know the word Michael means who is like unto thee? It comes from this. So when you call somebody Michael, I mean the Hebrew word Michael, it means who is like unto thee? So if you named your child or if your name is Michael tonight, uh, when you're saying Michael, you're saying, who is like unto me? I had an eye-popping revelation this week. We were in staff yesterday, and I was asking the guys to tell me some things about themselves, and, and I said, just, just preface it with I am. And the moment I said that, boom, a light went off in my head. I've been fiercely writing topics to go along with that. Do you know every time you tell somebody I am, for instance, I am a hobbyist, I am a dad, I am a husband, I am a mother, I am a hiker, you've got to say the name of God first because you were created in the name of God. What's his name? Go and tell him that I am that I said I am. Let's give him a hand of praise for that tonight. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. You are created in the image of God. And I just thought that because I've been kind of giddy about that whole thought since then. And uh, I am. Well, back to this. Michael means who is like unto thee. Well, it's a rhetorical question. The word name Michael is a rhetorical question because there is no one like unto God. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Look at Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, and performing great wonders? It's a rhetorical question. There's no one. And all of the kings who think they are and all the emperors who thought they were and all the presidents and prime ministers and generals who thought they were and live in pomp and splendor, God says, there is none like me. There is none holy to the Lord. 
There's a reason the temple was not as ornate as the pagan temples. And we'll get into that a little further as we go into this. So, first of all, holiness means that God is not like moi. God is not like me. And I got news for you. He's not like you either. Okay? God is not like me, but he's not like you either. And aren't you glad? I said a statement that just kind of had some people coming to me and saying, Pastor, what did you mean by that Sunday morning? I said, if you could see into my heart, you'd never, let me, you'd never listen to me preach again. But if I could see into your heart, I'd never have coffee with you again. That's how wonderful the cross is. That's what Jesus did for us in dying for our sins, is, is Christ saved us from our sin. So when we talk about holiness and the command to be holy, we've got to stop and remember, well, God is not like me. I mean, he is totally, to use a word that I don't use often, God is totally transcendent. He is so far beyond his creation. Creation declares the glory of God. Creation reveals the glory of God, but creation alone can never tell you all about God. That's why we're so grateful for the scriptures. And even with the scriptures, the Bible says we see through a glass dimly, darkly. Well, we will one day see him and we shall be like him when we do. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that tonight? I mean, that is exciting. So I asked myself this question. I asked myself this question. There's a command, I'm to be holy. What happens if I fail to be holy? What happens if I fail to strive to live a holy life? We don't want to get into legalism. We've looked at that. You know, we, we don't want to be legalist. We're not going to save ourselves by our works. But what happens if I fail to honor him as holy? Then I live my life in fear and anxiety and worry because I begin to think God is more like me than being God. Look at this passage here in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Do you know why we worry? It's because we look at that ladder, we look at that scale, and when we're looking at that scale, we tend to think we're God. I had learned a long time ago, I am not the master of the universe. I haven't said this statement in a long time, but I teach it when I have the opportunity to teach pastors and do leadership conferences. I don't have a church. Jesus is the shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. I have spent my life with churches. I don't want a church. You know, I don't mind being the under-shepherd. He's the boss because the needs are too great. The needs of our community are too great. Sometimes what we're saying when we're worrying is we're saying, God, you're not handling this very well. You're not treating me. And you go, I'm not being rhetorical. These are conversations that I frequently have with people. Well, God's not treating me really well right now. God's not doing this. God's, why is God doing this? And we're worried because we've forgotten that God's holiness is not only the love and the joy and the peace and all of the other fruit of the Spirit, but it's the very power of God, the essence of God. He says, my ways aren't your ways. What you want right now and what I want may be two different things. My thoughts are not your thoughts. What you think you want right now and what I want are two different things. But if you'll learn to trust me, then the Bible, he goes on in Isaiah 55, says, you will live in joy and peace 
and the mountains and hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now I would write that in the facing page, these verses, and if you don't have them, we'll give them to you later, but do you know how much peace that brings me when I hold Josiah? Do you know how much peace that brings me when I sit, as Becky and I did, with someone last night on the verge of having a heart attack? We sat with them in the hospital. You know what that does for me when there is a family about to shipwreck? I can't begin to describe to you the peace. Do you know what that does for me when a student in my youth ministry is raped by a man and after that, that wonderful young man thinks because of what happened to him that he's a homosexual? Do you know what that does for me when another student, when this father left his mother, comes to me and says, if God is good, why didn't he make my daddy stay? You see, God's holiness is totally off the scales. And all of us have to come to a point where we recognize holiness is not some legalistic thing. We're talking about the very essence of God. Because sometimes people will say to me, I can't sanctify him as a holy father. I had a bad daddy. I had a bad mama. I had a bad parenting. I, I just can't think of God that way. I, I can't think of him as a father figure. I don't want to minimize that. That's not my point. I, I don't want to minimize your pain. I just went through some very painful real-life memories, some that I'm dealing with today with people. I would never minimize your pain, but there is a solution to that pain. And I want us to go to Jesus's quiet time journal. Can we do that? Do you know Jesus leaves us a little page of his quiet time journal in the Bible? It's John 17 where Jesus prays. And I've encouraged you to write your prayers and write down your prayers. In John 17, verse 11, he prays, Holy Father, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. God is a father that is above any father you could ever dream of. God will be both a mother and a father. God will be a husband to the forsaken wife, the Bible says. God's love is pure. God's love is unending. God's love is not tainted by any of the sin. God's love is not tainted by manipulation. God's love is unconditional. You don't earn it. He loves you just as much tonight as a Christian. He loved you that much when you were lost in your sins. Jesus Christ loves you tonight. While we were yet enemies, he died for us at Calvary. Well, go ahead. Give the Lord a hand of praise for that. And until you sanctify God as holy in your heart, until you trust him like that, you'll never understand the holiness of God. You'll never understand the holiness of God. So the question, I would ask you two questions tonight. Are you going to believe him? And I know in this crowd, most of you are going to believe him. But if you're not going to believe him, that he's all of these things, then why won't you believe God? And see, that's the issue that Pastor Rick and I work with with so many folks when it comes time to trust God. If you won't believe him, why? Don't just walk away mindlessly from this wonderful God who loves you and gave his son for you, if you don't believe in him, why? 
don't you believe in him? If you don't think he answers prayer, why don't you think he answers prayer? If you don't think he cares about you, why? But don't ever forget the caveat. His thoughts are not like your thoughts, and his ways are not like your ways, and they're not like mine. You see, to believe in God is to have faith in God. Faith in God means I don't have to be afraid of losing his love, only wounding his love. I will never lose the love of God. You will never lose the love of God. But what I have to be concerned about, and it's why Jesus, I think, taught us to daily pray, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God will never stop loving you. He will never stop loving me. He will never stop loving us as a congregation, but we are capable of wounding his love. The love of God is beyond, as the Apostle Paul, excuse me, as, as the Apostle Peter would say, and then Paul would say, it's beyond anything we think. It's beyond anything we would dare to ask. It's even beyond what we can imagine. And so when I think about that God says, ask me anything in my name, I can dream some big dreams. I can dream some selfish dreams once in a while, too. Someone sent me a picture of themselves with their new high-performance $250,000 Porsche convertible. I could see myself sitting behind that wheel. I could feel myself sitting boldly. I had a little bit of envy there. I said, Lord, I like that. I got in the Mustang that day. I was like, oh, Lord, I need a Porsche. You see, if we're not careful, we, we will start thinking like consumers and selfish, and God, prove yourself to me with this gift or that gift. But God is interested in making a passionate follower of Christ out of you and out of me tonight. You see, when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves before God, when we take this communion together tonight and we cry out, holy Holy, holy. There's a point then that comes where like Job, I have to put my hand over my mouth and I have to cease complaining and I have to cease whining and I have to cease bickering and I have to acknowledge that his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. But if I will trust him because he is pure love, he is unending love, he will lead me forth in peace. You can't trifle with God. He's a holy God. So secondly, that means if he's holy, I must be holy. Wow. Now this is where it gets a little more frightening. But once I understood holiness as a young man, and I think I've grown and I've really tried to grow in my understanding of this over year, years, is that even inanimate objects could be holy. The tithe is holy. The Bible tells us the first 10% of our income is holy to the Lord. It belongs to him. The Bible tells us that linens in the temple were holy to the Lord. These elements that we're going to hold in our hand tonight as we take communion together, they're holy to the Lord. By the way, the scripture declares that you are holy to the Lord. And what does that mean? You've been cut loose from the world. You've been cut off from the world. You've been set free. You have been delivered from sin. And you have been set apart for the exclusive use of God. 
That's the, the, the linens in the temple couldn't be used for anything else. The water in the temple couldn't be used for anything else. The tithe had to be given to God. Why? Because it was holy. It belonged to God. And God says tonight, you are holy. And to be holy means to be wholly devoted. It means to live like a passionate follower of Christ. Now, let me, let me try to just illustrate this to you. And I was just talking to one of the board members earlier in my office tonight. We were talking about this whole concept of holiness, and he's working with our students tonight. And that is that Jesus, unlike the Pharisees and the legalists, they ran from anything that they thought was unclean, unholy. They ran from it. They called us dogs. They, they, they hated sinners. They hated tax collectors. They wouldn't touch a corpse because they didn't want to be unclean. They, I remember... So many times where I've leaned over and kissed someone that has died and, and thought at the time when I've done that, how that, you know, the Jews would have said I was unclean. However, what I love about Jesus, what I love about King Jesus, Lord Jesus, the Rabbi Jesus, what I love about my Savior is that Jesus runs to embrace the unclean and makes us holy tonight. That's the glory. That's how we become holy is because of what God does in us. So in verse 16, Peter says, you must be holy in all your conduct. If you go back and read Blackstone's law, if you go back and read some of the law that Western civilization was built upon even before that, a society was guaranteed, listen, a society was guaranteed law and order and peace if there was holiness among the people. You'll find that written over and over. Because holiness has to do with virtues. Holiness has to do with character. Holiness has to do with honor and love and care for our neighbors and respecting them. It's the only way to have harmony and order. C.S. Lewis says, if we take away holiness from the church, if a nation choose to divorce itself from the holiness of God, eventually that nation will collapse in chaos. You and I got the opportunity, the rare opportunity, to see inside of Romania, to see inside of Czechoslovakia, to see inside of Bulgaria and the Soviet Union, and to see inside of China. We saw what that was doing to people and their lives. While those at the top lived off of the labor of everybody else, they suffered and entire societies collapsed. Because power without holiness, friends, is a dangerous, dangerous thing. To be holy means that I'm holy gods. To be holy means I am holy gods. There's no area of my life, there's no area of my life as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, grandfather, son, pastor, Friend, there's no area of my life that doesn't belong to God. And here's the thing. One day, one day, not that I will be saved by my holiness. I will be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But I will be judged about my holiness and how I've lived my life. How that virtue and that character has come out. It's what we're aiming at. We want to be holy people. Now, friends... That's what began to put the metal and the strength into these people that Peter was writing to because they were suffering religious persecution, political persecution, economic persecution, and they were giving their lives for the cause of the gospel. 
It wasn't sitting around singing kumbaya. It was the life of God being manifested in them. Let me see if I can illustrate. One of the best illustrations of holiness to me is out of the book of of, uh, 2 Samuel tonight. Once during the harvest, if you'll put that up, once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was capped in the valley of Rephaim. The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are examples of the exploits of the three. Let me tell you what's happening here. David has been crowned king. He's coming into his own. And the Philistines, in order to keep him from consolidating his power, they make a fierce drive right into Judah. And they are so successful in their drive, they run David out of the city of Bethlehem, his hometown, and he has to flee to the wilderness and to the desert. They drive a wedge between Bethlehem and between uh, what would become known as Jerusalem, and they drive a wedge between what we now know as Judah and Israel in Old Testament geography. So this is very important to understand this. They've driven this wedge. David, in order to defend his kingdom, he has to take his army, and he goes out into the wilderness. I've been there. This is not a wilderness with trees like in the UP. This is a desert. It's hot. He builds a camp there. He has to build a camp there because you can't build a camp without a well out there in the desert. And so the Philistine army has not only occupied Bethlehem, but they have put garrisons around it, and they've reinforced it. And one day, one day during all those battles under a very, very hot sun, I suppose, David just kind of sighs to himself, oh, that I could have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. I wish you could have tasted the water from the well on our family farm. It was delicious. It really was. You can taste the difference in different waters that come from wells. You can taste the difference because of the minerals. Now, I don't know this for sure because I've only drank bottled water over there, but they say in the well of Bethlehem there were just minerals that made the water sweet. Do any of you ever add those little colored things to your water and shake it up so it'll taste like orange or punch or grape? Uh, We're just grown-up kids, aren't we? So he says he just makes this sigh under the hot sun, oh, that I could have a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. What was he saying? It's not that I don't have water. He wanted Bethlehem back. It's not that he didn't have, there was a well there. He wanted Bethlehem back. He's asking God this question, will you give me Bethlehem back? Will you give me Jerusalem? Will you give me the kingdom? God, are you going to honor me? God, are you going to protect me? Or are my enemies going to destroy me? Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Read the Psalms. There's all kinds of Psalms he wrote during this time. And so when he sighs, he's not giving a command. He's not asking for volunteers. He wouldn't think of asking these three to do what they did. But what happens next just totally, totally amazes me. Three of his warriors, they hear David sigh. Oh, that I could have a drink of water 
What do they do? They gird up their loins. They expose their legs. They grab their swords. They put on their swords. And three men go up against the city of Bethlehem and fight their way through the garrison of the army. And two of the men must held the other Philistine soldiers back while one of the men dipped into the water and filled a jug or a skin with the water. And then they had to fight their way out and carry that water across the blazing hot desert to David's. And what do I learn from that? I learned finally this tonight. I am seeing total devotion, not only from the three men who risked their lives, I'm seeing total devotion from David because David did something amazing. He poured that water out rather than drink it because he said this water is as precious as their blood. It's as precious as their blood. You see, the nature of total devotion is this. Your sigh is enough. Your sigh is enough. That's the nature of total love. That's the nature of total devotion. When you're totally in love with someone and you're totally devoted to them, their sigh is all you need. You don't need a command. You don't need a request or to be begged. He didn't say, I'm sending you out against an army. This is my command. He just sighed, oh. He's thinking about Bethlehem. If I just had a taste of that water. Please hear me, because this is what holiness will do for you. When you're totally devoted, giving pleasure will bring you more pleasure than receiving pleasure. When you're totally devoted, giving pleasure will bring you more pleasure than receiving pleasure. It was God's good pleasure to send Jesus Christ to die for our sins. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the agonies of the cross. It's why the scriptures talk about God's commands being glad commands. It's why the scripture talks about God's commands being joyful commands. It's why the, the scripture talks about, Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes that this is not a matter of just keeping a code or keeping a rule. It's a matter of having a, the Beatitudes describe a holy heart. It's something that yearns and stretches out. And as we get ready to receive communion in just a few minutes, I hope that you just yearn and you stretch out to know more of Jesus, to love Jesus more. I hope that something in you is willing to cut off everything in this world that hinders you. Remember what the apostle wrote? What has hindered you from running such a good race? And the object of our total devotion is Jesus. That's the object of our devotion. That's, that's how our holiness expresses itself. It's just love for Jesus. Do you think those soldiers for one minute went, David, what are you doing? We risk our lives to bring you that water. David, we fought through the lines. We fought back. We were willing to die, and you just dump it out on the dirt? No. They were honored because David was saying, I am not worthy of this kind of devotion. Only God is worthy of this kind of devotion. Only Jesus is worthy of that kind of devotion. Jesus doesn't market himself 
Jesus doesn't advertise himself. Jesus just simply in his holiness and by the power of the Spirit comes to us. But you know what? That's the way we should feel about one another. Jeff, that's the way you and Keith should feel about one another. You and Paul should feel just totally devoted. That's the way in the body of Christ we're to feel totally devoted to one another. That's what it means to be holy. How many times does the Scripture tells us to be devoted to one another? To be devoted means I don't negotiate. David just simply says, I don't deserve this. Only God deserves this level of devotion. Only God deserves this level of holiness. And I want you to know he was recognizing right there, there is a greater than King David, and his name prophetically would be the son of David. It would be the prince of peace. It would be Jesus Christ, the king of all kings and the king of the universe. Can we give him another hand of praise for that tonight? Hallelujah. So don't give your spontaneous love to anybody but Jesus. Don't give this kind of devoted love to anybody but Jesus. Don't dare give it away. And that's what I say to people sometimes when they say, well, I can't think of God that way because I had a bad dad. I had a bad mom. I had an abusive dad. I've been in abusive relationships. That's because you're looking at the latter. God is totally off the charge tonight. And when you know Jesus, you know God. When you draw near to Jesus, you draw near to God. Finally this evening, the reason for total devotion is he is our warrior king. You see, the story I just read you from 2 Samuel, it was not about David. It was about those three mighty men. Because Jesus broke through the lines and he defeated the enemy so that you could have the water of life and drink from it freely. He's not just the suffering Savior. He's the resurrected Lord. <laughs> it's why he says, if we go back to his devotional journal, John 17 and verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. Read it with me. So they can be made Let's read that with a little feeling tonight. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. How much more precious should this cup and this bread be to you tonight? How much more valuable should this communion be to us, not only tonight, but every time we take it from here? You see, it didn't come at the risk of Jesus' life like the three mighty men. It cost Jesus his life so that you and I could take of this tonight. And there's a big difference. But here's the difference. Don't you dare pour this out on the ground. Don't you dare pour this out because we're not worthy. It's not about our worth. It's about his holiness. It's about his love. It's about the price he paid for us and it's possible, it's really possible for us to be holy as he is holy and grow in that holiness a little more every day like Jesus if we take the time not only to ponder the holiness of God but to apply ourselves to growing in holiness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Becky, would you come on up, sweetheart?
And I'm going to ask Pastor Rick and Pastor Mark if you would come and help me with communion tonight. In 2004, at the University of Duke University in North Carolina, there was a bad mix-up. The folks who drained the elevators of the hydraulic fluid to replace it with new hydraulic fluid, they stored it in some steel drums. And they were supposed to get rid of it. And for some reason, that was what they were using to sterilize surgical instruments. It was a long time before it was caught. I saved the story and kind of followed up on it. When you're in hospitals, as much as I am visiting and praying with people, I'm, those are things I try to keep up with in our community. It took two months and 3,800 surgeries before anyone figured out there was something wrong with those sterilized instruments. Two months, 3,800 surgeries. The hospital put out a statement. We want to give people the message that we care about our patients. I believe that's true. I believe that's true. I believe they care about their patients. But what they don't understand, what they didn't want to admit at that point because of the potential lawsuits, was that they put their patients at risk. I hope you'll hear this with the grace and the spirit and the peace that I mean it in tonight. That's what a church is like when it's not striving to be holy, when it's not striving to grow in grace. It doesn't matter whether it's a very legalistic church whether it's a very lax church in its doctrine of faith. To grow in holiness is to be doctrinally correct and is to be compassionate. To grow in holiness is to be theologically correct, but it's also to care about justice. To grow in holiness is to make Jesus the object of our total devotion. We recognize nothing we do makes us holy, but His Holy Spirit is Word each and every day make us holy. So would you come tonight and would you let the pastor serve you and, and uh, find a place and kneel in the altar and then we'll all take together. Would you stand with me this evening? Just come on down and receive together.
tonight, would you just take a moment with your kneeling or standing? Would you meditate on the holiness of God? He is unlike any father you've ever known. He is unlike any shepherd you've ever known. He is unlike any rock. power surpasses anything that you could imagine in the entire universe. And then tonight, would you just remind yourself God is not like you. So cast all your burdens and all your cares upon him. Peter's going to tell them this. He's going to tell them, he says, the devil is seeking to devour you. He's going to, he's roaming. He's trying to devour you. Cast all your cares. How can you say that to these people? Unless the Holy God tells you. He's going to make something great out of your life. One day you're going to see Jesus. But his ways and his thoughts recommit yourself before we take the bread and the cup. Lord, I am wholly yours. There is no part of my life that I'm going to hold back from you. I am wholly yours. I pray this prayer every single week. It's how I start my week. I am wholly yours, God. what comes or goes I know I'm going to be led forth in peace but holiness needs a focus tonight all we need Lord is to hear the sigh all we need to hear is what Isaiah heard who will go all we need to hear is the words of Jesus to love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. All we need to hear is what we looked at last week. Only God is good. So Lord, let us hear your sigh. Show us tonight this is more than just good thinking. We can experience the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit together. Hallelujah. Jesus, we can't be devoted to husband or wife, church or community, son or daughter, mother or father, until you are the chief object. Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He's literally giving God not only thanks for the bread, but for the price he's going to pay for our sins.
And you broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Let's eat together. saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it so would you remember the Lord right now meditate upon Christ let him fill your thoughts and your heart tonight see the father reaching out his arms to you Jesus touches the unholy and makes us holy. I can never be worthy. <laughs> I can never be worthy. But I will not pour this cup out. I will not spill this cup because Jesus takes the unholy and makes us holy. Let's drink together. each time you do this in remembrance of me you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again Maranatha Lord Maranatha this will be a good time right now to just cast your cares before you that's jumping ahead in the book but right now if there's anything that's been troubling you causing you distress just cast it before the Lord and say Jesus I give it to you I want to be led forth in peace and joy tonight. I want to leave this sanctuary in peace and joy tonight. I belong to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. this book. The more we get into it, you're going to love this book.